This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and D&D Classics affiliate links. Hi, I'm Steve Kenson of Green Running Publishing. You're listening to The Tome Show. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Tracy Hurley, and in this episode, number 256, we've delved into the depths of the world to brave the machinations of the demon lords as we review the adventure Out of the Abyss. And joining us for this adventure is Allison Rossi and Jeff Wynn. Hello. Hi there. <laughs> uh, people may recognize Allison Rossi. She's been on the show uh, once before. Is that right? Yeah, once or twice. Yeah, and, and but they probably know you better as a regular on the roundtable. Um, yes. And you also uh, play in a game on Twitch. Correct. Uh, which they can find you. What you're? It's like it's like you're like Pixie something, right? No. Ah. no Twitch.tv slash Padfoot two. Padfoot. That's what I was thinking. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the guy who who hosts their channel is a very big Harry Potter fan, yes. to say the least. Okay. And Jeff, uh, everybody recognizes from the Fantastic Appendix in podcast, where you read classic novels that are sometimes good. Thank you. Yes, sometimes good and sometimes not so good, but we not, always have fun talking. Say, about not them. that the podcast is sometimes good. <laughs> the podcast is always good. The the books that I that you read are sometimes good based on the conversation. Some sometimes good, sometimes great, and sometimes uh, awful. But but the awful ones can be can be fun too. Yeah. Yeah. Well. The criteria wasn't that they were necessarily good, just that they had inspiration for D&D, &D, right? The, the, the criteria was they were on Gary Gygax's shelf when he wrote the 1974 Dungeon Master's Guide. So there you go. It'd be great if you had like a picture of that shelf, since you could just go right down the list, huh? It is, it is basically a, a, <laughs> a snapshot of what Gygax's taste in fantasy fiction was at that mm. point in, in time. So there, there you go. There you go. And I'm, I enjoy it every week. Well, every month? Twice a, twice a month now, right? Uh, whenever, whenever Sam puts it out. Okay, <laughs> very good. If, if Sam would put out more, then well, you'd have more. <laughs> I never try to complain about how much Sam is or is not putting out because uh, he does all the work and I don't have to. That's true. So there you go. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're here to talk about a new classic, Out of the Abyss, the adventure that recently came out. It is... Uh, the tabletop role-playing game adventure uh, going along with the new Watsy storyline called Rage of Demons. Um, similar to how the first storyline was the Tyranny of Dragons and the second storyline was the Elemental Evil. Um, and so now we're getting into Rage of Demons with uh, Out of the Abyss. Oddly enough, the first two storylines heavily featured cults. And now that we have demons, which you would think would evoke all kinds of cults, 
Cults don't play prominently. Weird. I, I thrilled you all with that insight. <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting, though, I mean, to see how, how it's changed, uh, the way the storylines are run and not having to deal with cults. Instead, lots of NPCs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's talk about it a, bit, a little bit. Does, who wants to brave out there and start us off by telling us what Out of the Abyss is about? Well, it's, it's probably not going to be me because I spent about uh, five hours with this book last week and I'm, I'm still not sure exactly what the story is i see so when we when we get to uh maybe nitpicking and and tearing this this book apart i will elaborate but uh, maybe maybe allison or uh tracy can tell us what this book is about well allison is uh and jeff remind me have you been playing in the adventure uh i have not okay you have not but but allison so i have been running the adventure and uh, it has been interesting so far to see the, the definite change in, in how it's run. Um, Out of the Abyss, I mean, I, I haven't read through the book because I don't like to skip too far ahead because then I start to confuse details when talking to my players. And let me just say that there are a lot of details here. Um, mm. Each chapter is very, very in-depth. Um, so I probably can't give the best overview as a whole, but I could at least give an overview of the first couple well, chapters. Get, get us started and we'll jump in when we have uh, something to add. Okay, so the beginning of the adventure um, starts, uh, without giving too many details, your your players are, are prisoners in a drow prison, and they are kind of tasked with, with escaping. Um, there are about 10 NPCs that are there to kind of give them information, help guide them, figure out where they're going, or... or um, an interesting flavor to it because they all have uh, kind of wacky personalities. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they can successfully uh, get out and not, you know, have a, a TPK from making silly decisions, um, they start going into the underdark and kind of traveling around, choosing where they go depending on what information they get from each NPC. So Le- level one. <laughs> Escape from prison and welcome to the Underdark. Yes. (laughs) You have, you know, I had my players design their characters and I didn't tell them that, you know, the starting equipment that they chose is going to be completely gone. So when they got to the table, you know, ready to go, I'm like, okay, so you're in prison. You don't have anything. And they're like, what do you mean we don't have anything? And I was like, you're in prison. You don't have your weapons. You don't have your armor. That's, nope, that's not happening. So having them. rolled up monks. (laughs) Yeah. So having them all figure it out was very, very interesting. They spent a lot of time trying to escape just from prison. Um, We kind of had to almost reset because they almost all got killed uh, from the decisions they they made. Forgetting that being level one is not easy. (laughs) Well, and and on top of your level one without anything, and even with, I remember with the spellcasters, there was a note saying, like, for wizards, try to be generous with, because the wizards only remember the spells that they had previously prepared. So they still had them even if they didn't have the components to cast them. So yes, like, be but generous. Time, in the prison that they were kept in, there were special uh, wards keeping them from casting spells in the actual prison holding cell, which yeah. proved very difficult when they decided to start a flight in their prison cell versus outside of it. Uh, so anyone who could cast anything, um, you know, through those means could not do very much. Um, so that made things exceedingly difficult for them, but they're, they've been, some of them have been playing since before I could probably talk. Um, so they were, they, they, they ended up figuring it out after about two sessions. <laughs> um, so yeah, from there, they are kind of set loose in the underdark and they can choose to go to the closest place, which is Slubladop, or they can 
you know, go a little bit further away and kind of skip ahead. Skip ahead. Uh, there's different uh, random encounters that they they uh, happen upon. Um, there's different NPCs. There's little filler uh, adventures for in between chapters if your characters need to level up. Um, and then through each city that they go to in the Underdark, they learn about the people there. Um, obviously, have their quests and maybe encounter some uh, demon princes and things like that. Uh, so my characters are only, they're probably going to be to Grackelstug in about two more sessions. So that's about like as the, far as I like as that I've you happened. just dive right into those pronunciations. Good job. Yes, I have, <laughs> I've had to practice so many times because my, my players tend to butcher anything I don't say right the first time, and yeah. then they make nicknames for it. So I try and, you know, at least say it well myself so mm. I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So that's my quick rundown. Of, well, and that's, of kind of- and that's like the first half, right? The first half is you're, you get out of prison and you wander around the Underdark and you go from city to city and you kind of pick up – you have these side quests and things, but you kind of pick up these little clues that something's not right and, and the demon lords are, are running around. Like there is an opportunity at like level, what, two or three that you run into Demogorgon? Yes. Uh, <laughs> so that, that – um, you know, since I've said some of them have been playing since I was – before I could talk, probably before I was born, um, some of them knew exactly what I was talking about when, when things like that happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're, <laughs> they're smart enough to know we can't handle that. Yeah. Um, we need to figure out a different plan. So I definitely like how so far the adventure really forces them to think out of the box. Mm-hmm. Not everything you can tackle. You need to think around it and see, okay, what well, can I do that won't get us all killed? Mm-hmm. Because they like to kill everything, and this time it has consequences. Right, and so that's the sort of the first half, and, and the first half sort of ends as they finally escape the Underdark, and it takes them all this time. Theoretically, it takes them all this time, and you could skip right to the end, and then the DM has to figure out, okay, now um, gain five levels because otherwise we can't move on or whatever, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> and you yeah. missed all these little clues, and and you probably still have a bunch of NPCs with you that don't want to be there, and and all these things. Um, and then the second half is the, okay, now you're being tasked for going to go back into the Underdark and try to suss together some way of figuring out what's going on and getting rid of these demon lords that are rampaging through the Underdark, um, which culminates in a, uh, in a big giant demon lord battle royale. But you, maybe you haven't gotten there yet, Allison. Um, not with my players, no. And like I said, I don't. I try not to read too far ahead so I can keep up with them. And, and sure. everything's a surprise to me at the same time it is for them. But that's how I like to run yeah, things. Yeah. Well, that's okay because we have three people who have thoroughly read to the to the end but haven't had a chance to play. So we have all kinds of perspectives here. Um, so that's more or less the story. Did I did I miss anything, or did we miss anything? Uh, that 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 sounds basically correct, uh, Jeff. That was that was that was a good. Summary. The thing is that, like the 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 very succinct s- summary that you that you gave, you you basically have to read almost the entire book to to figure out that that much, and then okay. and then, like I'm I'm still not sure what exactly is is going on behind the scenes. I mean, the the back of the book makes reference to mm-hmm. Gromph Bainray mm-hmm. casting some sort of spell. Oh, that's interesting because see, I know what's going on because I've read the Archmage novel, um, 
and it's explained there. But it, I didn't even think Just about the fact. There. I, I didn't even think about the fact that other people <laughs> who haven't read that have no idea why this is happening. Right, and so my my main complaint about about this this book is that um, you you basically as 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 a GM if if you're going to run this you basically have to read the first half of it be, before you start the campaign. And you have to really scour the entire thing if you really want a a deep understanding of what's going on. I I could not find any part of this book where they actually talk about Gromf's spell or mm-hmm. what Gromf is doing or if it even matters to the adventure at all. It, it might have just kicked off this whole thing and then and then mm-hmm. you don't deal with Gromf. But I I don't know about that. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it really matters to this to the adventure, um, why or how Gromf did all this. It's just a mm-hmm. matter of he did it, right? Right. So, like, as as someone who's you know, and I'm I'm going to bring up Paizo again and again and again because I'm I'm very familiar with with their style of mm-hmm. pre- presenting things. If if this were a Paizo adventure path, the very first thing you would you would get is the backstory. Right. And you you would get like maybe a page, a page and a half of backstory, and then you would get a page of here's how we think the whole campaign might go for you and your players. Mm-hmm. Just just a general outline of of events for the for the GM so that you can have it up up front. Um, and out of the abyss doesn't doesn't do that. They start mm-hmm. you off in in uh, what is it Velkenveld, mm-hmm. and and the whole chapter on on Velkenvelve is is beautifully written it's a it's a great scenario um but that i mean that's pretty much all they give you they 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 put the players um on the ground they they put the players and the gm you know on, on the ground running and then and then the second chapter uh describes uh basically general information about the the underdark it, it describes travel and and random and and encounters and this whole uh, scenario where uh, the drow that you escape from are are chasing you. So they've so they've got these this uh, me- mechanic for whether or not the drow are catching up with you, which is kind of cool. Which which is cool. And then you've got three or four locations where the characters can go once they escape from Velkenvelve. Yeah, it becomes very sandboxy. So, so the GM has to have at least a surface understanding of all four of those locations and what can potentially happen there. Right. You know, at, at least by session two. Uh, Allison, oh, w- I... was that your experience, Allison? That you felt like you needed to know all of those different locations, or could you kind of figure uh... out where they were probably going to go and, and just prep that part? So, for me, at least, like when when I've been DMing, since I am probably I'm probably one of the newest people even at my table that I DM for to D and D. So I like to go and do my own research because there's a lot of things that I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I kind of go and do my own background research and try and figure out things about, you know, perhaps uh, NPCs that seem like they would be important in the realms or places or or things that I don't know about. Um, which I'll probably eventually mention the uh, New Sword Coast Adventurers Guide uh, later in talking about that. So I, I definitely have to do my own research to figure out more to to flesh out the world for my players. Okay, Tracy, what were you about to say? Oh, I also think I also wonder if it's a style thing. Like um, I'm not entirely sure that you you need to know all those different locations. 
by chapter two, it, I think it all depends on, on how you actually run your game. Because the thing is, I feel like this is actually has two levels, and this is the hard part in uh, boiling down what, what the adventure is about. There's the... Um, like, when they did the Sundering series, and they're trying to talk about World War II from from the ground, like, mm-hmm. how people experienced it. So it feels like with this layout that this is really about how the players are going to experience these life or uh, world-altering events, mm-hmm. eventually world-altering events, while also having them interspersed throughout, like, uh, like the attack on Dark Lake and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Although at the end, like, for the second half... You know, I think it, maybe it starts that way. How how are these people, these adventurers on the ground, experiencing this this big event? But by the second half, right. they become the heroes that are now going to save the world, right? Right. Well, that's why I said that. Like, there's a two levels, and it yeah. does switch over around the time when, in in terms of leveling, that's what the 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 suggestions are. The uh, yeah, advice mm-hmm. from from the DMG and stuff. Oh, right, because they kind of switched you know, tiers, if you want to call them that, from previous editions around that right. time, right? Okay. I hadn't even th- thought of that, but I think I think that's right. Is that That's about the time that they start su- – they're supposed to start becoming more important to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think Jeff makes a good point that, that they could have done a lot more with it, right? He compa- you compared it to the adventure paths that Paizo does, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's a fair comparison. I also think it's worth noting that if Paizo were to do it – they would do it as a series of what four to six books, and they would have a much larger page count to do that with, mm-hmm. and you'd, you'd end up spending more money to get that that one to fifteen levels mm-hmm. of adventure. Um, so I think that's a fair comparison, and I think there's I think maybe Watsi is just trying to do uh, a similar thing in a different format, right? And I I, I can I can respect that, mm-hmm. but I I also don't think that. Uh, maybe an adventure of this size doesn't doesn't fit comfortably into the 250 pages that they that they have for it. Yeah, I mean they didn't do it the first adventure path, right? Or the first you know uh, storyline with Tyranny of Dragons. They make, they let them have two books. Yeah, but both both of those books were half the size of this book. Were they half? That could be. I don't have them in front of me. They were when when you put the two. They were smaller books together. They're they're about the size of of this book. I think I think it's it's maybe more pages, but then there's there's overlap between the two books. It sure. it it roughly you know ends up being about the same size. And this this is the third you know mega adventure that they've put out in this in this style. And it it for for me it it just doesn't doesn't work i'm i'm used to having mm. uh lots of support material um i mean just just having the the monsters and the and the you know the the, the sort of gazetteer information in a in a separate book that i can have open you know and and the encounters in a in a in a, another book uh would 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 make this so much easier for me uh, and and i didn't I didn't mean that that you have to com- you know completely understand all the locations that you can go to before you before you go there but I like I feel like I want to at least understand the the gist. Right. I I I want to understand what what is the purpose of this of this location? Mm-hmm. What is what what did the designers mean to happen here? And so like if if I want to change it up, I can totally do that. I'm I'm a experienced GM. I'm I'm comfortable with I'm comfortable with that, but I, I at least want to know what what did the designers intend for me to do sure. with this with this lo- location, and I I find the layout of each each chapter con- confusing, and and I'm gonna pick out uh, just 
Gracklestug as as an example. They 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 start with giving you random and encounters, which I would think would be one of one of the last things in the in in the chapter. And and then they then they on on page fifty three they, they they give you a block of important NPCs, which and it's it's just the name and a sentence about them. So so these are the important NPCs, but they just give you one sentence and they don't tell you where to go in the chapter to find out more. Oh sure, I mean because they are all mentioned later in the chapter, but you'd have to read through it to, to <clears throat> really know, and, get and, that. And I I remember, and I'll 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 let you talk, Tracy. But I I I remember reading this. And I, I I happened to glance at Stone Speaker Hagram, who's a who's a stone giant, and I thought, well, that's interesting. What what's a stone giant doing in this in this Dorgar settlement? And and I just I just couldn't find where in the chapter to go to find out more about this guy. Mm-hmm. Tracy, what were what right. were you you gonna say? Oh no, I mean, and 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 I get it because because your style is a certain way, and this is why I, I wondered if it was a a style thing because you're expecting to understand that there's what the what the developers or designers envisioned for something and one of the things i read through this sometimes a lot of times it felt like there wasn't a clear like they were just trying to provide story elements rather than Mm. this is what you should be getting out of here yeah they have sort of um i think said when this came out that um this is not an adventure intended for inexperienced dms right that this is some that that this is not just advanced players but it's also advanced dms that should be running this because it it is more especially that first half is really like you know here's the underdark go where where are you gonna go there's not really any clear motivation other than we want to get out right and 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 it's not just the experienced dms thing like even ex- among experienced DMs, people are going to have different preferences sure, for yeah. for what they want. And 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 all, all I'm throwing out there is that it could be a style thing rather than an objective. Like one's better. It, yeah. 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 I mean, but I mean, I I think of myself as an advanced GM. I, mm-hmm. I, th- I, th- I think the, I think the point that that I'm making is that is that the the things that I want to find in order to use, I can't find them. Mm-hmm. Easily, so you don't like the the formatting very well in terms of being able to find things. I don't. In the I don't like the way that they've ordered the the information. Okay, no. and I can I can respect that. I don't think I have that same problem. Um, there are, and I have to say, I'm really really engaged and interested in this story. And as I read through it, I'm like, I really want to do this, and I really want to do that, and I really want to run it, and mm-hmm. I want to do these things, and and I'm it, it seems really cool. The mm-hmm. one thing that turns me off of the whole story. Um, is I don't want to deal with 5,000 NPCs. And I don't know how you do it, Allison. It's because, rough. Yeah, because you, you start with like <laughs> 10 and they are yeah. traveling with the party and then you still add some and sometimes you get rid of some and sometimes you don't. And then even, <laughs> then when you start part two, they give you like a, a big stack more of them. And it's like, well, that's really cool and interesting in a novel, but I don't want to run 500 NPCs constantly. Yeah, I actually made a tweet at some point when I was prepping saying, like, I feel like I have multiple personality disorder dealing with all the NPCs. Um, It can get very difficult to deal with all of them, especially because I'm probably, like, the worst person ever at impersonations Mm -hmm. or impressions and accents. Um, So I... I kind of inter- and I have a table of seven people. So on top of having you know random maybe ten NPCs at once and seven players, and whatever else is going on, it gets it's hard to juggle. And I will say that sometimes some of the NPCs just kind of 
fade into the background for a little bit until they're more useful or until the players decide to interact with them. Um, the main way I get my players to continuously interact with them is I do have uh, table tents with a photo and their name. Mm. Um, and then I have little details on the back of each one for myself. So I can either put them on my DM screen or put them in front of it and then pick them up to remind myself of their facts if I need to. And the thing, uh, but the, <laughs> thing I hate, the thing I hate isn't having to interact with and roleplay the NPCs. I don't want to go into a combat where I have to run all the monsters and 10 NPCs. That just drives uh, me nuts. So, you know? so my solution there has been to... To basically leave it up to my players. If they decide to befriend an NPC um, and they want to actually get to know them and talk to them enough so that the NPC would quote-unquote trust them, I actually let them handle the NPC. And as long as they play the NPC uh, in terms of combat with what the NPC would do, for example, not having Shashar in battle, then they can they can tr- they can control it. Um, so that does mean uh, making combat harder which I'm already used to doing, seeing as there's so many of them. Mm. So it's kind of an additional um, thing that I end up having to do as a DM. And it's it's not too big of a deal when I'm already making things more difficult. Just sure. pump up that difficulty level a little and bit I, more. <laughs> and I think that was the advice they actually gave in the book is, is you know, here, hand these off to, to the players and let them play it or whatever. And they, they make the same advice later because in the second half, you kind of start with, you know, start talking to these different factions and see if they can get support from them and whatever. And you could literally be walking into the underdark with an army, but they, they have like little reproducible, you know, photocopy this page, cut along the dotted lines and just hand them. Here's the stats for these creatures. Go, you know, don't, don't ask me. I'm not running them. Yeah, it it just seems have, like it's going to turn every battle into a slog just because there's so many creatures and, and people involved. Yeah, if you have players that are experienced like, like like most of mine are, it does make it easier, though, because they can understand how and when to bring these NPCs in. And they understand that, you know, making them do certain things that is not that doesn't fit with what the NPC would do is not OK with me. And they don't try and pull it. And if they do, they're quickly shut down because, you know, that's not how this this works. Yeah. You know, if I'm allowing you to run an NPC, you're going to run it the way that, you know, fits their personality, not however you feel like it, you know, sending them ahead like sheep to set off traps or something ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My only thought was I just need to have, you know, 15, 20 players at my table and, and they can all take an NPC as a pregen and said, here, just play this guy. <laughs> <laughs> There's that too. Yeah. <laughs> There's definitely enough NPCs. If you have people who want to just hang out and visit your table, they could you could hang, hand some of them off. Uh, one of the things that, that got me about the NPCs was that sometimes it wasn't entirely clear whether these were people you should kill or people you should try to recruit, and I think that was un- uh, intentional. But yeah. the, getting a lot of magic items and other... Because the beginning part of this game is, is rather resource-intensive, because as you pointed out, they're uh, enslaved and all of their stuff is taken away. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So it's like they're, they're as they're going through the Underdark, one of the things that is they're supposed to be gathering food and, and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. So there's not a lot of resources unless you go out and start killing people. Yeah, and, and yet at the same time, they've created all these sort of shades of gray concepts where, you know, killing killing the, the person in front of you is not is not as often, I would say, not the solution, right? You can. Right. That is a unless solution. Unless you're mad. Unless you're yeah. mad, to be fair. Well, and, and it's very possible you go mad, right? That's another thing that's cool about this adventure is that there's this sort of madness mechanic where in um, 
Ooh, I have a lot to say about that. <laughs> Do you? Where, where you know your your players and your NPCs so, can kind of go crazy because of the influence of the demon lords. But go tell us about uh, how well, that doesn't work. <laughs> so um, I do have uh, some things about how that has not worked. Um, so I was very, very excited for the madness mechanic when I came into into running this. Um, however, I guess perhaps I didn't think far enough forward or maybe I didn't think it out well enough. Um, however, there's just been uh, some issues with, with madness at, at my table specifically. Um, for one, the length of time that madness lasts can be kind of ridiculous. Um, the, the specific issue we ran into was short-term madness. It lasts 1d10 minutes. So in one case, uh, let me see. Uh, if you roll a 51 to 60, the character must use his or her action each round to attack the nearest creature. So in a lot of cases, uh, when they're rolling madness, that just so happens to happen when they're out of combat, not near really anyone else except for their fellow players. So it came uh, to the point where my players were attacking each other uh, due to madness, and one player almost died because of it. Um, and just the length that it lasts, no one could restrain him, and for whatever reason, some of them weren't bothering to. Um, but that's another story, I guess. Mm. So the length it lasts, uh, the suggestion that I have is making it, you know, 1d10 rounds instead of minutes, especially if it's something that, you know, causes them to uh, start combat. Um, my other issue with madness is um, it actually caused some discomfort at my table uh, that I didn't think would happen. Uh, apparently for some of my players, they discussed the fact that uh, some of the things are too close to actual mental illness and mm. several of them, you know, have dealt with that personally or with their families or with their jobs. Um, so I ended up actually having to remove madness completely from my game except for boss battles. Oh, okay. So... <sighs> You know, it's definitely one of the things where think of your players, make sure that if you are using madness, make sure they're comfortable with it. I mean, mm -hmm. we're all adults, so we should be able to discuss it, but it's, you know, it made me have to completely change how I run my game. And, you know, I'm willing to do that to make my players happy, but, sure. you know, other people might not be, so it might not be right for everyone to play. Sure. So that's my, my two cents there. Yeah. Although it, it's an interesting mechanic, and it's certainly not the first game that's that's had a, a madness mechanic, right? Um, yeah. It, it kind of adds that sort of horrific, uh, not quite Cthulhu-ish, but, but definitely mm -hmm. not unrelated to that. The idea that you're slowly going crazy and the Underdark is kind of supposed to have that effect on people. Uh, yeah, and even uh, yeah. And even more so when, you, when there's demon lords running around, right? Or the fair's dress, you know, the possibility of things like that are just crazy things that you've never seen before. Mm -hmm. So I was sad to take that out, but yeah, there were uh, there are some things that I found. Um, I don't know. I felt like there were some things that were maybe underutilized. Like there are certain demon lords um, that don't show up at all until the battle royale at the end. Um, that I really wanted to know more about what they were doing, um, and maybe that's because they had other plans for them. I know Orcus. Um, appears heavily in, I think, one of the video games that ties into the storyline because he's got mm -hmm. this whole thing where he's uh, he's brought an elder brain, um, an ilfid elder brain, back to life, uh, well, to undeath anyway, um, and so that has you know ramifications in that storyline. And but he only shows up in this adventure at the very end. You never see him. Um, although it's really cool because there's the big ba the whole the way the the whole thing ends and we're spoiling you're we're talking about an adventure so we can't talk about it without a spoiling um 
you get to the end and the you could you know your ally conducts this big ritual and it summons all of the demon lords and all of the demons in the abyss to the same place at the same time and then the idea is you just sit back and hide and let them fight it out and then whoever's left standing will be weaker and you take them down right so the assumption is if everybody just stays out of it and doesn't interfere, that's that's going to be Demogorgon. He's the most powerful demon lord. He's going to be the winner, and then you can take on a weakened version of, De- of Demogorgon. Except for some reason, this one time, or- when Orcus is destroyed, his the Wand of Orcus doesn't go with him. And so you can pick up the Wand of Orcus and use it against Demogorgon, which is kind of cool, although it doesn't make a ton of sense. <laughs> Well, since, since when stuff. does D&D have to make sense? <laughs> That's right. It's the rule of cool sometimes, right? Exactly. Uh, and there were, other, um, the, there were other elements that I thought were, were cool, but like not – like it, they went too sandboxy. Um, there's the, the whole hinted concept of this thing called the maze engine that's in the middle of the labyrinth, right? And it's this this Modron sort of artifact that brings order to chaos, but it's been broken and it doesn't quite work. That whole description of how it was supposed to work never quite gelled for me and never quite made sense. So I just sort of figured, well, you know, if I run it, this is how I'll do it because I'm not sure how it's supposed to work because um, that just wasn't made clear to me. Uh, and ultimately, I don't know that it matters because there's not really any incentive for the players to go and find it. Like they kind of sort of hear about it in a few cases, um, but money is always a good motivator. You could throw that in there. Well, but they never. Yeah, they, well, but they're not, that's not really their goal in the whole adventure anyway, right? Never is is money the the motivation. Um, and so I, you know, and it's funny because it, honestly, it's one of the little side quests that you can do that theoretically has the biggest impact because if you find it and activate it and happen to get the right random percentile roll, although it's only like a one in five, there's a 20% chance that it happens. Um, it, it banishes all demons within like a hundred mile radius, which gets rid of two demon Lords that you don't even have to see. They're just gone and you never have to see them in the battle Royale. Um, but you have no reason to know that it could do that or why it would do that or to, to hunt it down when it's like 70 miles away from the nearest thing that you, that you do need to go to. Um, so it's a neat little aside, but I don't know that it, there's really any motivation to ever go there. Well, that's, I guess that's something a, a, a GM would 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 have to um, play uh, up. Yeah, tinker tinker with yeah. him himself if he if 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 he feels that's something he wants to make a big part of his ad, adventure. I mean this, yeah. I mean this 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 whole whole book, like like a lot of fifth edition, is is one giant toolbox. Mm. Um, and, yeah. and 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 the tools and the toys are are all really very very cool. I mean, I I, I didn't mean to to I mean dis, dis disparage a lot of the ad, adventure design and lo, location design. It's 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 all really cool. Uh, and and I think going going back to uh, what we said about about all the NPCs, and I think going back to what we said about about the madness, all of all of that sort of sort of plays into the the. Um, bucket full of Lego blocks design mm-hmm. of fifth edition. Um, you know, like all all these these NPCs, you can you can decide which which ones to keep and which ones you're just gonna gonna get rid of. If mm-hmm. if, if you decide that Ront the orc is just boring and you don't want to have an orc in your party, guess what? He 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 falls down a pit, or or he just he just doesn't come come up right. 
And or your you... players hate him and kill him like mine. Right. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, but and... I bet they love Stool. Stool looks good, super do. cute. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and the whole random tables thing, like, this edition is is full of random tables. If if you're playing a certain kind of kind of sorcerer, like you you come with a with a with a random table, uh-huh. and 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 the GM kind of has to sort of sort of mitigate that. Like if 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 you roll something that that just doesn't work for your party or the story, you you have to either ig- ignore it or or come up with like a, a a bandaid to fix the situation right right then and there. And it it can be tricky. But I mean, that's that's kind of how this whole edition works. It's it's a it's a bucket full of full of Lego bricks, and Lego bricks can hurt when you step on them. But uh, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I, but that's 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 yeah. where yeah that's that's my that's my uh, uh, analogy here. That's yeah. Like yeah, they hurt like D fours. Uh, no, and I didn't think you were disparaging uh, the design. One of the other things too that uh, struck me. Uh, about this is replayability. I, I felt like there was a decent chance with, because of that randomness and because of uh, the the different ways, the sandbox nature, mm. you could play it again without it and not have a different story potentially. Yeah, you could tweak a few things even as a DM. So those parts that are like the second half um, largely becomes go find out what's going on, bump into this drow wizard, um, the drow wizard says, I've got a solution, go out and get these five MacGuffins and then we'll have a big battle royale, right? That's sort of how the second half plays out. And so the MacGuffins and going to get the, the, you know, the components for the ritual or whatever, um, going and doing those things is pretty well laid out. There's not a lot of flexibility in where you go, like where else are you going to find, uh, five feathers from fallen angels, right? It pretty much has to be the location that they've designed for the adventure, um, although there's a few that they kind of say you could get it there or you could get it in this other place, whatever, right? Uh, but for the most part, you're going to hit these these familiar touchstones. But you could tweak sort of the location or, or move some things around and, and sort of hit the same ideas um, and and make it a completely different adventure, even on the parts that have to be there, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I definitely liked about it, that there's just so many things that you can change. And if something's not working out right, it's relatively easy to get inspiration to to turn it in a different direction or just give your players different options um one of the things i didn't like about running horde of the dragon queen and and rise of tiamat was it was very set in stone as a new dm that was great for me for my players not so much they were used to more you know sandboxy environments having Mm. different options and with the other storyline it was kind of hard to do that without being like, okay, well, now the story is completely ruined. How do I get them back on track without mm-hmm. completely railroading them? This allows me to, to railroad them less and be like, what do you want to do? If you change your mind and you want to go somewhere else for the Amadurak, okay, you might be a little bit underleveled, but we can figure it out and, and go to that. Or which path do you want to take to get to the city that you're going to? Mm-hmm. Um, so I like the, the sandbox open environment, but I definitely would not have liked it very much if this was the first... Uh, right book i ran you could maybe you could maybe run princes of the apocalypse as a as a first time dm right it's a it's a more complex or at least as a newer dm because it's pretty darn sandboxy but it also has like a formula like it yeah that's what it seemed like i didn't get to run that one because i i skipped to this storyline but but yeah that's that's what i've heard at least from Mm -hmm. people i know that have run it and what i've seen online Mm -hmm. i i i I had similar problems with with uh with with princes 
as 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 to this. I mean, I I had to pick it up um, for my and encounters group because because we had a we had a GM who uh, couldn't make it, and so so I had to I had to take over for his his table. And I, I remember running. Um, it's it's the first part where you're where you're just out of out of Red Larch, and you're looking for this um, uh, diplomat, this 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 party of diplomats uh-huh. that came from 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 a nearby city, mm-hmm. and I couldn't find them. Like I couldn't find where, yeah, in, where in, they in the adventure they were supposed to be. I couldn't mm-hmm. find any information as to why the party was supposed to be searching for them. So I mean, similar to out of out of the the, the abyss, I just found. That with with this format, in- you just couldn't find what you wanted. Yeah, information is just hard to find. Okay. So, any other thoughts? I mean, I think I, I there's a lot about this that I really like. Um, the only thing that really um, is daunting to me is all of the NPCs that travel with the party. Like, I can handle NPCs, but having uh, the party run around with an army is a whole different mindset that I'm used to, and my instinct is just, well, let's just get rid of them as quickly as possible and or kill them off, and they don't have to deal with it, right? Winnow us down. They went off on their own adventures. <laughs> um, they're although, busy. Although Stool seems super cute. Um, and, he is. My players love Stool so much. And uh, was it Globagool, the intelligent gelatinous cube, seems like a cool concept. So Always lovely. Always. Uh, yeah, has, your, has your party picked up Globagool? No. Oh, okay. Not yet. <laughs> Well, they would they would need special acid resistant gloves if they were going to pick up Glavicool. <laughs> yeah, they're not they're not fans of uh, of oozes or anything like that uh, right now because of the uh, what, what escape from prison. They oh. might have some uh, negative one weapons. I see. Um, due to that little issue there. Uh-huh. But Glavicool leads into my favorite demon lord, Jublex, <laughs> because I love saying his name, Jublex. It sounds like a holiday every time I read it. I feel like there were a lot of names that were fun to say. Uh, I also noticed a Kalisa Draga. Yep. As one of the characters. Isn't isn't that someone from Game of Thrones? That's yep. (laughs) No, not quite (laughs) close. No, no, it's Khaleesi and Drago in Game of Thrones. Right, Khaleesi Khaleesi Drago versus Kalisa Draga. Completely (laughs) different. (laughs) Completely different. I, I really liked having the Mykonids not have gender. I thought that was cool too. They they are interesting little uh, things being thrown in there, especially because like I don't know what this is. Let me research this. And reading about them was kind of cool. Like on the Forgotten Realms wiki. Um, and now one of the things they talked about as they were leading up to and, and as they were publish, uh, promoting this adventure when it came out um, was that part of the inspiration was, well, the Underdark is weird. And, you know, Alice in Wonderland is also kind of weird and whimsical. Let's try to capture some of that in the in the storyline. Is it there? Is, is there any uh, is there any Alice in Wonderland sort of uh, ideas here? Topsy and Turvy, uh-huh. obviously. Um, you know, some of the ways that they handle madness seems like kind of throwbacks to Alice in Wonderland. Speaking of which, that was my favorite movie as a child and still one of my favorite movies. Um, so I could I could definitely see that. Um, I thought it was Neverlate Grove. Sorry. Yeah, yeah you're fine. Um, and I guess also just it depends on how you run it. Because you could definitely run this as a more, uh, like, grim story mm-hmm. um or you could be a little bit more lighthearted and silly and you know madness could be a serious 
thing or a, you know, oh, you've gone crazy, haha, so funny, let's get this fixed, and, you know, you're just doing <laughs> silly things for a little bit. Mm-hmm. No, and I, and I think, um, to me anyway, the real sort of Alice in Wonderlandiness in it comes from those NPCs, which is why, you know, my instinct is not – well, my instinct is to get rid of them and winnow it down to just the party. Um, then you sort of lose the whimsy, right? Because that's – because you have this eclectic, weird collection. You've got a – what is it? The the Quagoth that thinks he's a polymorph elf prince or something? Yeah. Oh, like, they love Prince Darendel. Yeah, they got – there's just all these weird little eclectic um, whimsical NPCs that you could run into or deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where the Alice in Wonderlandiness comes from is that you just have these weird people doing weird things. And, and, well, if, and you'll, if you'll notice, like each each one of the NPCs is a is a plot hook. Like each, each one is, mm-hmm. con- is connected to one of these places that you're supposed to go. And each of these places is connected to one of the, of the demon lords. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they're 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 there to get your players on the track that, that you want them to be on, and, and then step aside when you don't you don't need them anymore. And I guess another thing to point out is not only is this like Alice in Wonderland, but also it's a relatively old game. I guess it's not that old, two thousand um, American McGee's Alice, which was a That's very exactly very dark what I was version. Thinking. Of Alice in Wonderland. So, I mean, if you've played that game and you've, you know, read or watched the Alice in Wonderland related uh, stuff, you know, it's an interesting mix of both. That that lightheartedness and that deep darkness of of madness and things. Mm. Mm. And there's, um, I know um, some of the people that work at Watsi, one of their favorite parts is the... um, the wedding. There's this whole scene that's a wedding where and oh, yeah. uh, Zugtmoy is marrying this quote marrying the largest living creature in Faerun, which is just this giant fungal colony, intelligent fungal colony. But really, by wedding it, it's she's taking it over. I, right? I, 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 I think heaven. that's I think that's actually based on like a real thing. Like I think there really is a, an an actual fungus. That is like the size of almost oh, an, could be. an entire continent. Yeah, that could be. Um, well, and and there's little moments. I noticed a couple of moments in towards the end of the book uh, or the adventure that that um, felt Wonderlandy to me. Like there's one magic item that you pick up um, in like the third or fourth to last chapter, or you can pick up, and the command word for it is Mimsy. You know that that feels very Wonderlandy. Yes, it does. And there there was something else. I'm trying to find it now. There was something towards the end, uh, maybe in that um, wedding scene, where there was a character who I'm like, this is something straight out of Wonderland. You guys talk, and I'll see if I can find it. But I did like the Neverlake Grove area. <laughs> I feel like everything about Which that ones? that area seems interesting and kind of I don't know, cute in, in a weird way. But it's Which, not – it's like – it's cute but it's like disturbing because there's this whole like demonic spores conquering pe- and destroying people's minds and, and things. Like it's messed up. It's – I believe it's the Mykonid area. Uh, oh, never n- – never like. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's what I'm talking about. I kept, I kept thinking you were saying never like and I got confused. <laughs> oh, sorry. Not, not quite. Oh, also the the bander snatches. Um, Maybe that's what I was thinking. That's of. that's a a Lewis Carroll um, uh, thing. It was yeah. Uh, I forget what they look like. Um, quick. I think that is what I was thinking of. I just couldn't find it. Where where's the bander snatches? Uh, it's they, in the they... poem. It's in the poem Jabberwocky. Whoa. So the bander snatches are um, 
demon worshiping drow um, from the city okay. of spiders chapter. Yeah, they're okay. they're they're uh, like cultists or a mercenary band or yeah, gang I, or something. I, yeah, I, I, I knew the poem. I I, I I just wasn't sure where they were in the in the in the chapter. Yeah, that, the, that, that's what it was. Thank you for finding. Yeah, me. so yeah. they they throw little things like like that in there that are definitely throwbacks to you know very Alice in Wonderland esque mm-hmm. stuff. That some people will get, others not so much, but it's it's definitely nice to throw in there. How has your party got along with Jim Jar? Um, so my rogue character has been kind of controlling Jim Jar, so to speak, and they find him interesting so far. Uh they don't take him up on too many of his bets. Um, but they also don't know really his background. Um, they don't know about, you know, his kind of spy background there. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of there gathering information, and I feel uh, it'll be interesting once they figure that out. They'll probably feel a little bit betrayed, and, you know, that's okay. It, it happens. You can't trust all the NPCs. Sure. Hence well, why Ant died. <laughs> and, and, I, and I'm going to spoil you here because there's this little optional sidebar in the very last encounter, the big battle royale with all the demon lords, um, wherein Jimjar, if you choose to go this way with him, could come back and turns out is actually a god or avatar of a god this whole time who's just sort of been traveling with the party to see see what's going on and, and to manipulate them. It would really throw them for a loop if I was like, hey, this is Tiamat, guys. No. <laughs> they specifically call out, you know, like um, whimsical trickster gods, but yeah, that would work too. <laughs> it's actually Tiamat. Seeing what you're up to after banishing her back to the Nine Hells. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We've been talking for a while, but we still need to make time to talk to Steve Kinson. So any last thoughts before we head off to the interview? Not for me. Jeff, last thoughts? Well, if if Wizards of the Coast is is listening. They, uh, they all listen as soon as an episode comes out, right, guys? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, Tweet at us if you heard us. <laughs> Please listen to the Appendix N podcast and and be, and and be on my show. But you know, if if Wizards of the Coast is is listening, I I sincerely hope that that for their next ad, adventure, if if they insist on going with the 250 page hardcover format, that mm-hmm. that maybe it not be a level one to fifteen, like maybe it it just be level one to seven or seven to fifteen or or somewhere in between because i i because af- after after three of these i i really must insist that an adventure of, of this size does not fit in this format and if they're if they're going to uh do a whole level one to 15 because that's really what they want to do then this really needs to be like a a box set mm. i mean i could i could really see the the whole uh Velkenvelve scenario as its own little 10 page booklet and then, like the first half up to where you escape, as its own booklet. The second half as as its own booklet, and then and then the monsters and all the and all of the sort of gazetteer information in in a fourth booklet. And then and then you can have fold out maps and and maybe some some character sheets. And it would be three times the price, maybe. But I. I think a product like like that is something that I could that I could really use and get a year or more's worth of enjoyment out of, and and I I would happily pay, a hundred fifty dollars for a a swanky box set that that gave me you know all of the creativity that these designers have put into this wonderful adventure, and also the the co- convenience of being able to access 
the 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 information the way that I want to. Well, and I, and I as I understand it from some things that I've heard or some conversations I've had with Watsi people, um, I think the plan, if there's a master plan, is to sort of build the D and D section of game store shelves to um, to have. They, like there were some basic things they wanted, right? They wanted people to be able to look to pick up the core books and then have a couple, two or three different options for now. I can pick up a campaign and and, and play a game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, but they've sort of said, but but now we kind of have that, so maybe we can start looking at some other things and some other formats. Um, so you might have an opportunity to do future adventures in a different format. Mm-hmm. Um, you might also start seeing some some. Uh, products coming out that aren't just based on the latest storyline, um, which is what they've been doing for the last two years, right? So um, I think we may see some opportunities, and there may be a reason that we haven't actually heard anything announced um, for what's coming after after all of this yet. So, well, I I certainly hope that that you're right, Jeff. I don't know that they're going to do what you want, but but I think yeah. they might be trying some different things. So. I hope they do what what I want because I, <laughs> so we'll see in the future. What I want is really? what I want, and I want it now. So, well, good I, luck I'm with that. surprised that you want them to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's shocking that you want them to do the things that you want. <laughs> uh, so I, I guess the point I would make um, about this is to call back a little bit to the the toolbox idea we had uh, concept we had earlier in the discussion. In that, I would definitely buy. I'm glad I bought this book. Mm-hmm. Because I think there are parts of it that I will take out and and use. Uh, I'm not uh, a person usually that runs an adventure from the book as the adventure is presented in the book. So, but I found a lot of interesting little cool things that I definitely want to use as inspiration and pull out, or even to uh, expand. Uh, like Jeff was saying, like some of the areas could be expanded upon a bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think um, I am the kind of person who generally wants to run it not as written, but I I kind of like to stick to the story and I'll throw in my own little tweaks here and there or, or my own little storylines and, and make it more personal along the way. Um, and my instinct right now is to – so far all of the adventures have had things that I've wanted to tweak pretty heavily, especially Tyranny of Dragons and this one. And it's mostly because of, of dealing with all those NPCs. I think I could stomach it through the first half. Um, it's it's not quite so many NPCs and whatever. Um, I think I would find ways to uh, winnow down the NPCs pretty quick in the in the second half, though. Um, they don't really serve a purpose other than to highlight how important the the PCs are. Because look at all the how much they've trusted them with all these these soldiers or whatever, right? Um, right. But there's no real need for them to be there. They don't accomplish anything. They're not necessary. They don't provide any story hooks. Um, they're just more muscle um and you don't really need more muscle uh so i kind of you know and and the point that you do need more muscle it's because hey look there's a demon lord and then they can't do anything because they don't have magic weapons so the demon lords just slaughter them all anyway um so i feel like those second half sort of npcs aren't particularly important um there might be some different you know if you convince the factions to help you in those scenes that's where i might hack it and change it a little bit and so instead of you get this it might be a you know you get you can call on this favor when you get into this settlement or, you you know, like for the Zinterim, when you get to the Zen uh, place, you could call on these certain favors or here's some magic items or a bag full of healing potions or whatever because, I don't know, that feels more manageable to me. So 
that's that's the hack I want to make. Oh, I guess one more thing I want to throw in before we finish. Um, if you want to read a little bit more about the Underdark and you have some extra money, I guess, uh, Sword Coast Adventures Guide, Chapter 2, The Sword Coast in the North, page 99, starts a little bit of, uh, you know, talk about the Underdark. There's areas that describe kind of the different major cities that your players will be going to. Mm. Um, it's not a ton of information, but it's something that's in there that kind of uh, describes it a little bit more. Mm. might help with a little bit more fluff. And, well, and I, and we can... I guess that book will probably be on shelves by the time this uh, this uh, episode yes. airs. So a good chance of that, yeah. I, in uh, full disclosure, I got the Out of the Abyss uh, adventure um, as a review copy, so I did not pay for that. Um, however, I have not to date gotten a review copy of the Sword Coast Adventures um, guide, so um, I might have to wait until it comes out and, and check it out myself. So there we go. It's interesting, that's for sure. Well, there you go. Uh, so I think that wraps up our, uh, discussion, right? Yep. Yeah. Nice and neat in a now, bow. Now it's time to head over and talk to the lead designer for the adventure, Steve Kenson of Green Ronin. We are here now with Steve Kinson from Green Ronin Publishing, who was the, the publishing house, if you will, that was tapped to uh, work with Wizards of the Coast on the adventure Out of the Abyss. And you, Steve, as I understand it, were the lead designer on the project, yes? That is correct. Awesome. So l- let's just talk generally about Out of the Abyss. Sort of what was, what was the goal in designing this adventure? Well, the, the basically the, the goal for... Out of the abyss was um, the the creation of uh, an environment, uh, you know, essentially in a lot of ways. Um, as uh, a lot of people have noticed, um, out of the abyss has, especially in the the first half of adventure, um, a much more sort of um, sandbox style to it, mm-hmm. um, and. Um, so a lot of the notion, you know, in uh, the was creating uh, an environment in the Underdark that was, you know, a particular um, example of um, not just the familiar environment in the Underdark, but the Underdark sort of ramped up by the the presence of all of this uh, demonic madness uh, that was spreading throughout the environment. Uh, and to basically, you know, um, as as Chris Perkins you know, described it, you know, basically set up, you know, was you know, kind of D and D on hard mode, mm-hmm. um, and drop the you know player characters into this environment and say, okay, you know, survive, <laughs> at least for the first, you know, half of the adventure for you know basically the first seven or eight levels, you know, the the primary goal for the characters is to stay alive and to figure out a way to get out. Um, and and make it back to the world of sunlight and sanity that they came from. And then they get there and it's like, okay, you made it. Now um, take a few months off and go back. And now we want you to go back. (laughs) So in the process of doing this, uh, did you get really good at pronouncing these crazy Underdark names? Um, Some of them, (laughs) you know, I mean, it's the, some of it is the oddest, you know, the the odd effect of, of seeing things written all the time but not saying them um i've gotten very good at spelling a lot of them mm. um that's certainly true what's the name of the town where the durger live oh see i didn't know there was gonna be a ah. 
you have to turn in your geek creds. Yeah, now. some of our reviewers know, last night were, were calling it out, and I'm like, that's wow, terrible. you got you pulled this out way easier than I did. Uh, that's see, a, now I have, no, it's it's Michael Stug. Okay, Is that we're talking about the Dwergar mm-hmm, City. Uh huh. Yeah, very good. I just, it's the Stug part that always gets me. I'm like, well, is it a, is it a gug or is it like a you know, is it a soft gh? Mm. Is it Grackle Stowe? I don't know. That doesn't. That sounds a little too genteel. No, I suppose. <laughs> so, um, so out of all the adventure, now that we've started talking about parts of it, what is your favorite part of the adventure? Oh gosh, um, there are so many different um, parts and pieces uh, of it. I'm very fond of. Um, I, I think as, um, as a piece, I'm very fond of the fetid wedding, um, uh, just because it's the first, uh, part of the adventure where the characters get to, get to take on one of the demon lords. Mm-hmm. It's a, um, a really cool set piece. Um, it's, it's, you know, giant monsters fighting in a giant fungus cavern, um, it's, it's pretty cool. You know, we got a little venture into the astral plane, all kinds of other, you know, really mm-hmm. nifty stuff, you know, gets worked into that, um, particular scenario. But, um, the, the whole adventure is full of really cool and interesting, you know, little bits, uh, all over the place. So I'm very fond of a lot of the characters. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, since you're t- mentioning the, the fetid wedding, um, it, it sort of feels a little bit out of place. Like you have several chapters of going after these various ritual components and then you have the chapter mm-hmm. after it, which is, and now use all those ritual components. And then this thing is kind of thrown in the middle. Um, I'm kind of mm-hmm. curious how, how that's supposed to fit into the larger story. Well, it's, it's twofold. One is it offers a, a stop gap in terms of acquiring some of those components if the characters haven't been able to. Mm-hmm. Um, because um, the fetid wedding uh, scene specifically mentions there are a good two or three components that potentially show up um, as, as part of the, of the scene that the characters can get if, if they haven't been able to find them. Um, so that's one opportunity there. And it also offers a certain sense of urgency in the adventure, um, because otherwise it, you you get um, you know this sort of long drawn out quest where the character are after all of these various components, and it can start to give the impression that the demon lords are just going to wait around until the characters can you know build their you know um, you know come come up with their plan to defeat them. Um, and what the fetid wedding emphasizes is that the demon lords all have plans of their own, and those are moving forward. Uh, and uh, you know Zugtimoy's you know uh, plan to 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 wed and co-opt Aramis uh, is is going to happen you know regardless of whether the characters are ready or not. Um, so uh, the the fetid wedding kind of interrupts the the naturally expected flow, like you point out. Mm-hmm. You think it would just go from okay, our you know plan is ready. We're going to go you know right to the plan. Um, with uh, you know a sort of a, you know urgent situation that needs to be addressed, and um, that is intended to sort of ramp up the sense that the the characters need to need to get going with their plan, mm. um, and that you know they the very next thing they need to do is implement it. 
You mentioned NPCs and how it's, there's a lot of crazy, eccentric, and, and super fun NPCs th- throughout the whole thing. But there's also a lot of them, and they tend to follow the party around in a way that drives me as a DM crazy. How do I handle sure. that? Um, you can just kill them. Okay, great. Done. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it, although a lot of the NPCs, especially you know early on in the adventure, are intended to have some useful abilities, uh, at least potentially – um, you know, and some potential value to the 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 party. Um, they're they're not all you know essential to the the story. You know, such that you know you could right from the get go, um, you know, decide you can have as many or as few of them along for the ride as you want. Uh, so far as that goes, some some groups like to pick up a lot of of sort of supporting characters, and other groups don't. So you know, it was really kind of put together so that there, none of them really have to be uh, you know along. Although certain ones certainly add to the story, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, and and some of them are some of them are fun. Some of them are just super useful. Um, honestly, some of them are you know incredibly dangerous for the party to keep around. And but, one of them is super cute. You're talking about stool. I am. Yes, <laughs> and he, as it so happens, is is also supplemented by the fact that in addition to being cute, is also super useful. Mm-hmm. So, because um, he's he's a little like Babel fungus um, that can translate for everybody. Well, wait a second. Is he a he or is it? it? Well, technically, oh. stool is it. I I should not gender it. Um, as uh, like all myconids, uh, stool is is a a, gen- a a sexless fungus. Yeah, no, I thought that was a, an interesting part of the adventure was introducing a uh, creature group that didn't use gender pronouns, except for the uh, demon. Except uh, of course queen. the demon queen right. of fungi. Um, so yeah. yeah, yeah, and we actually made a, a particular point in um, the the portrayal of the of the Myconids uh, to to make it clear that they were um, genderless and quite alien in a lot of respects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I thought it was cool, and that whole area was at, at parts was very alien, mm-hmm. so, and I thought that came out across pretty well. Yeah, part of me is still not quite sure how like the rapport spores are supposed to work. Like, do they attach, and now I can like communicate telepathically, or are they constantly being released, and now and that's how they're communicating? And any, but I think it can go either way, right? And you can have fun mm-hmm. with it however you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, my understanding is basically you 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 know you breathe them in, you get a dose of them, and they last for a while, okay. and you know it's it's a renewable thing. Mm-hmm. So we talked about sort of your favorite parts of the adventure. What are your favorite parts that didn't make it into the adventure? What got cut that you really oh wanted gosh. to keep? Um, let's see. Uh, we went through a number of different things. We had a we had a lot more um, potential endings um, that we then than we finally ended up with in the in the in the end, hmm. um, and um, we felt that the some of the options got a little too. Um, distracting, you know, from the the final end game uh, of the adventure. Um, so you'll see you see some bits and pieces of them um, still in there, but um, there were whole 
you know, just other conceptual scenarios about how the whole thing could potentially end um, uh, as far as, you know, sort of uh, trying to find a way to defeat the demon lords. Um, but um, it was just, you know, it was too much to, to go into all of these alternatives uh, as far as that went. So it really came down to focusing on a particular, you know, scenario uh, for accomplishing it. Um, and that was that was some of the big stuff uh, as far as that what, went. What, what's another way it could have ended? Um, well, for example, there there was this whole um, alternative scenario of um, it basically where the 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 party could um, work with the um, the Koatoa um, to um, essentially invent a, a god that was capable of defeating the demon lords. Mm. Um, uh, because the Koatoa, if they believe in a god enough, it actually comes to existence. Hmm. Um, so the Koatoa just constantly live in sigil? Um, kind of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and we introduced some hints of that with the 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 the, um, um, the Koatoa village early on along the side of the Dark Lake and mm-hmm. um, that sort of stuff. Um, so that was that's one possibility. Um, there was uh, a point where um, we we talked about other you know uh, alternative you know scenarios where the the characters could have um, you know found ways to defeat the demon lords, but you know some of them were you know just uh, too obscure and uh, you know just t- too involved for the amount of space they would have taken in order to do them justice. So you know we ended up going with something that was more focused. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talked about the things that you liked. Is there anything that if you could go back in time and change that you would? Um, well, you know, it, there's always, you know, it, it's a learning curve, you know, <laughs> certainly. And um, uh, there, I, I certainly would have been better organized about some things, um, you know, had I to do it over again. Um you know, we, we definitely went through, you know, like, you know, those alternative scenarios, you know, and other, you know, drafts and iterations of things, you know, we, we had to go through some things in order to get to where we got to. Um, and, you know, it would have been great to, you know, have been able to skip some of that process. But on the other hand, you know, it's, it's the process that got us what, you know, was the final result. So I can't really argue with that. Um you know, if I, I don't know, if I were to do it all over again, um, I might, you know, try and take some additional, uh, you know, feedback from people, you know, into account um, that we've heard in terms of trying to give additional player advice or game master, advi- dungeon master advice, you know, for running it. Um, you know, there's there's kind of a finite limit to how much of that you can you can include and how much you can anticipate every possible scenario. Um, so I don't know, that might have that might have some diminishing returns to it. Right. And this, um, like the previous sort of uh, storylines that Wizards has published, 
Um, this was a collaboration between you and the Green Ronin team and, and the team over at Wizards. Mm-hmm. Um, so could you talk a little bit about what that process was like? We've, we've kind of heard about it from Sasquatch and from Kobold, um, mm-hmm. and I wonder how much it's evolving and changing and what have you. So what was that process like uh, doing this in collaboration with Wizards? Well, basically it was um, uh, Wizards providing the, the story bible and the the sort of overarching you know ingredients to the adventure um the you know the essential themes um and the a lot of the the you know sort of pieces that got assembled uh in it us providing the um the the initial outlines and concept um of the structure of the adventure um, and then, you know, sort of a series of, you know, back and forth, you know, processes of um, wizards reviewing and, you know, adding to the outline. Um, and then, you know, our, you know, our team and our freelancers producing the initial drafts, wizards reviewing, and then, you know, providing feedback on those and helping to shape, you know, how that comes together and um you know it was it's just a back and forth process um and you know along the way we created you know a lot of we either riffed off of elements that wizards gave us or we created other additional elements that were worked into the the story uh in various places and um you know it all you know eventually came together in the end uh we produced a final uh, draft, uh, and then Wizards basically had the final sign-off mm-hmm. on it in terms of doing the 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 last step of editing and development, and you know um, really you know finishing the whole thing to to make it a complete final product. So was it really um, they gave you sort of direction, and then you you did the design, and then they gave you notes, or was there design happening on both ends? There was certainly some design happening on both ends, um, and you know, Wizards provided us with a lot of of design feedback mm-hmm. as well. Um, so you know, that was that was also very much a, a collaborative process. Yeah. Uh, th- uh, was it a smooth process in terms of collaboration? Like the the, the feedback uh, seemed reasonable, and and it all worked uh, worked together pretty well. It was it was a slow process mm-hmm. um, because uh, it's a big project and uh, there was a lot of ground to cover um, and it was certainly um, uh, you know I, and I can't speak to Wizards earlier sure. you know experiences but it was the first time for us you know working in that style mm-hmm. um, which was which un- unusual you know for us. Um, so, you know, it certainly, it certainly made things go slower than, than we're used to, mm-hmm. um, in a project that's a little more self-contained just because there's so many, um, voices involved mm-hmm. in the process. Um, and so that takes, you know, a certain amount of time to, to work through everything. Um, mm-hmm. and I think there were certainly points where it was slower than we would have liked, okay. but you know, it, it it's it's a big Wizards is a big ship. Mm-hmm. This is a big project, um, so you know, in a lot of regards, I can see how that would be the case. So, so here's the telling sort of tale to the to this line of questioning. If you were approached with the opportunity to do it again, would you? 
I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, it was it was a big project. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm glad we did it, and I'm very pleased with with how it all came out. Um, but it was it was a lot of work, to be mm-hmm. frank. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, I don't know if something I'd be in a hurry to do again. Um, you know, I'm certainly glad. Uh, I was certainly glad when it was done. You know, because again, it was a very it was a lot of work. Um, well, probably doubly so because you were doing two products at once, right? Yes, because we were also doing this and the Sword Coast Guide. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, and uh, you know, maybe if it had been just one or the other, mm-hmm. you know, that would have been, you know, somewhat easier in that regard. Um, but um, so, yeah, I I don't I don't know. Um, you know, I I think it's one of those things that uh, I would. Um, at least right now, want to to get a little distance from in sure. terms of you know doing some other stuff because you know uh, for all intents and purposes you know out of the abyss and the Sword Coast Guide was was nearly uh, nearly a year yeah you know uh, probably you know ten months so and, me- and meanwhile your normal work on mutants and masterminds and everything else is sort of on the back burner right 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 and you know I'm really right now really enjoying getting back to some of that stuff yeah. so. Yeah, well, and just looking at it in terms of, like, projects I've worked on before and looking at this book, um, and, and one of the things with 5th edition is that they're using the shared world setting and they're working between uh, video game companies, you guys, uh, mm-hmm. novels and everything. Like, just the amount of... Because you're, you're telling a lot of story through the background elements in the adventure even, like, where mm-hmm. the coins came from... And, and and stuff mm. like that. So like that's a lot of work that doesn't necessarily yeah. always uh, come out to end users. Or I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I can only imagine the the level of coordination that's taking place on Wizards' end. Uh, right. You know, as far as you know, I mean, you know, I just see the the segment of them working with us. Uh, you know, that the other projects that they're also coordinating at the same time is is a lot of work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely also something I noticed different with between like fifth edition adventures and fourth edition adventures was that there's because because there you don't have that layout that requires the map and the monster stat blocks within it like that just ate up a lot of pages a lot of times and so you actually mm-hmm. couldn't get too deep in the story but now it's almost like the this book is very similar to me uh, to some of the books near the end of the fourth edition line where they were just doing pretty much setting the entire time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. those, those, that's a lot more like you have to come up with a lot more stuff per book that's yes. interesting and unique than you do in, in those old adventure styles. Yeah, no, fifth, fifth edition books are, are very dense. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's a lot of, not only is there a lot of just plain text, comparatively speaking, um, but the text that's there is also itself very information dense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's just a lot packed in to uh, those books. So you know, and and very and no words are are wasted. You know, as far as that goes, they're also very lean in spite of having a lot in them. Um, so you know, there, there's there's a ton of material that that goes into the uh, the adventure books. Yeah, and, and what was uh, like? How much direction were you given in terms of like? Uh, don't do too much with Orcus. He's busy in the in the uh, you know video game or you know stuff like that. 
Were you given a lot um, of sort of keep your hands off of this person, but but use this person a lot or whatever? Not a lot. That got worked out fairly well in the the outline stage uh, for the most part, uh, where uh, we broke down the the stuff that um, the big you know beats and scenes and chapters that we wanted to have, um, and um, you know who who was what you know as far as that. Uh, went overall um i think that really the only um the only things that were really i don't even want to say mandated but emphasized um was um obviously that demogorgon was going to be um sort of our our big you know center figure um for a lot of it um but beyond that, it was really, you know, pretty much to, to use the uh, the demon lords however we wanted, um, and it just worked out. You know, I mean, we kind of massaged things in the in the outline to make sure it all fit. And and one of the things that you hear wizards talking about a lot uh, leading up to in, in the promotion of the book is that um, part of the inspiration comes from Alice in Wonderland. Mm-hmm. Talk about yep. the integration and where that where that comes out and what and what how that sort of plays out in the actual adventure. Well, basically the, 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 the real notion um, is, you know, in, in talking about Alice in Wonderland particularly is, is the, the whole idea that to begin with the Underdark is a very alien place. Um, and oftentimes the, the, the sort of otherworldly nature of the, of the Underdark hasn't really been very strongly emphasized. Um, the fact that it's this whole literally other world in many ways um, that never sees the light of day, um, that exists in this whole different environment where so many of the things that that we take for granted don't exist, essentially. Uh, and layer on top of that uh, the the influence of the of the demon lords unleashed uh, in this world. Uh, where uh, everything is slowly, you know, going increasingly mad, um, and you have this this environment where uh, almost any outlandish thing becomes potentially possible, mm-hmm. um, and we really wanted to create uh, the create the environment that uh, had uh, that sort of trippy edge to it. Um, that you get from the the Alice in Wonderland stories, um, that is, uh, you know, because the the modern in- interpretation of Alice in Wonderland is often very very light, but there's there's a real um, sort of dark edge um, to the original stories, which are very satirical um, and you know have this sort of dark humor to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and we wanted to have uh, that quality in Out of the Abyss. Uh, there, so there's there's a certain amount of uh, of just sort of both gallows humor and and just sheer outlandish weirdness uh, in the in the adventure um, that is intended to occasionally make the the characters question their sanity. Um, and, you know, to say, what if, you know, what have we gotten ourselves into? You know, what is this place? Um, you know, and how much of it is the way that the Underdark always is and how much of it is the fact that, you know, the the, the demon lords are influencing things. Um, 
so I mean there are a number of specific sort of little homages scattered throughout the adventure um you know we sp- uh, we spent a good part of the event or of the review last night just searching through the book to try to f- remember where the bandersnatches were <laughs> right um you know but but the overall feeling of it is is that is that sort of dark you know sort of um uh, through the looking glass kind of feeling Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, one, Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass was definitely like a direction for it. You had mentioned earlier D and D on hard mode. I was mm-hmm. also wondering, um, and you mentioned that there potentially was going to be alternate endings. So one of the things I felt I noticed during the first half of the book was uh, it seemed like there was a good chance for replay value. Like there were a lot of things, like peop- the decisions led to things that could be different each time you played. And I was wondering if that was something that was initially considered. Uh, it was, uh, you know, and uh, there, some of it is also keeping in mind, you know, replay value in the sense of, you know, having the adventure, you know, people have, have noticed and it's fairly deliberate that the, the book serves as a, as a pretty robust underdark source book in a lot of regards as well. Um, and um, that you can make a lot of use out of it, um, even if either, even if you're not playing the main storyline at all, and you just want to send characters down into the Underdark to wander around, um, you've got enough material um, on just travel and survival in the Underdark and making their way to various places around, in and around the Dark Lake um, that you could run an entire campaign that had nothing to do with the whole out of the abyss storyline down there if you wanted to. Um, so uh, there's there's a, intended to be a lot of certainly reuse value, um, right. such that when this storyline is done, if a dungeon master still wants to, you know, can still get a lot of use out of the book um, because there's so much source material in it um, on interesting characters and how to run adventures in the underdark um that it serves very well in that regard you know in terms in terms of replay value because of the sort of sandboxy nature of especially the first half of the adventure you could easily replay uh, out of the abyss and have things go in a completely different direction uh, depending on what the characters decide to do or even just the roll of the dice in some cases um, that sends them in a particular direction or ensures that they have some encounter or don't have another. Um, and you could play things in a lot of different ways. So, And that was one of the things we wanted to do with the adventure was make it very freeform early on and make it so that the decisions the characters made mattered a lot mm-hmm. to how the adventure played out. Well, and even if just for the uh, the demon lords, right? You've, you've Even though only a handful of the demon lords actually play a role that need full statistics. Mm-hmm. They're all there. Well, they're all there just in case you decide to go a different direction with it. So Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Maybe you want to go find out what Orcus is doing with that un- elder brain that he brought back to, to undeath, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's, that's actually one thing I wish we had had uh, space to detail was um, all of that uh, stuff in Cyrog. But mm-hmm. it was another one of those side things that just took up way too much space. And what was Graz doing this whole time? He's one of my favorite demon lords. Right? <laughs> That's not an answer. Okay, fine. 
Uh, anything else, uh, Tracy? Do you have any other questions? No, I'm good. Okay. Anything else you want to tell us about uh, Out of the Abyss? Oh gosh, um, you know, uh, I think that the 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 key thing for me um, for Out of the Abyss is um, that the way to I, I I don't want to necessarily say the the way you should play it, but something for people to keep in mind playing it is. Um, that it's it's intended to really bring in the notion that um, that running away is a viable strategy. <laughs> um, you know, and and one of the things that that the adventure emphasizes, kind of from the start, um, is that um, the the world is not you know, conveniently divided up into level appropriate challenges. Um, and sometimes the proper response, um, for the, for the player characters is to run and hide, um, or to uh, do whatever they need to in order to survive. Um, and, uh, I've seen, I've seen, I've noticed that some people have, have, uh, some difficulty with that. Um, and some people enjoy it, and a lot of it is based on your your style of gameplay. But there are a lot of things in Out of the Abyss that if you just take them head on, um, you're, they're going to simply annihilate you. Well, and it's it, do- and it's done in a way that you can run away and not feel oh, like yeah. not feel like you've you've failed. Right? There's other yeah. adventures where where you, maybe you should run away, but if you do, then you're not a hero, and you just let the the innocent people you know face whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, running away whenever it's 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 presented as a viable option, whenever right. it's an option. Well, yeah, if nothing else, I mean, chapter one is run away from the drow, and chapter two is run yeah. away from Demogorgon. Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> so there's definitely a yeah. strong theme of so, but, run away for a while there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah, I mean, and that was that was intended. Yeah. You know, uh, if if uh, you know people have uh, a concern about the fact that. Um, the the drow are not you know in, the drow in chapter one are not you know appropriate challenges for a group of low level characters they're right yeah. they're not supposed to be <laughs> that is correct very good um, anything you want I mean uh, we've we've been checking in with you about what once a month now we did a uh, an episode yeah, with you about, right. about a month ago about inclusivity and we're going to talk to you probably in a month or so about the the next book. Um, but so, any what what's happened in the world of Steve Kinson and Green Ronin in the last month that you might want to tell people about before we let you go? Um, gosh, I, really, for me, it's been a lot of of catching up on projects that have been on the back burner for quite a while, um, and so it's been um, working on getting back up to speed on some mutants and masterminds projects like the Atlas of Earth Prime, and. Um, our um, cosmic handbook for mutants and masterminds is is uh, due up for pre-order pretty soon. I'm really excited to see that uh, coming together because it's a it's a terrific book with a lot of really great art. Um, and uh, I've been working on the um, development of uh, Blue Rose uh, since the conclusion of our Kickstarter, uh, the the new edition for the uh, Age system. Uh, and that's been a, a fun process, and been, things have been coming along there. Very good. Well, thanks again for joining us, and we will chat with you again in a month or so. <laughs> My pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. Great. 
All right, and that is the end of the episode. Uh, we'd like to say thank you to our guests, Steve Kenson, Jeff Wynn, and Allison Rossi, and all of you for supporting the show by shopping from our affiliate links when you use Amazon or D&D Classics. Let's one more time give Jeff and Allison a chance to tell people where they can go on the interwebs to, to find out more about them. Jeff, go first. Okay, well, you can listen to the Appendix N podcast right here on the Tome Show feed. And uh, if you want to be on the show or you want to ask questions about the show or you want to contribute to the show, you can email the Tome Show at thetomeshow at gmail.com. Uh, I do not give out my own email address because uh, I wish to remain anonymous. <laughs> but you can contact me through, through the Tome Show, and uh, we love to have more voices on the show. That comes to me, and then I forward it on to Jeff. He gets all of your emails. Mm -hmm. And Allison? Okay. Uh, you can mainly find me Monday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time when we're actually, you know, not being adults with, like, commitments and things. Uh, we play D&D 3.5e on Twitch at twitch.tv slash padfoot240. Very good. Uh, and you can find Tracy and I right here because <laughs> this is where we live. <laughs> also, Tracy's got that blog thing. Yeah, sometimes. We mention that sometimes, right? SarahDarkMagic.com. It's, it's more famous than we are, so I'm sure if you're listening to us, you've, you've read it. Uh, so if you want to get a hold of us, as Jeff mentioned, you can email us at thetomeshow at gmail.com. Thetomeshow at gmail.com is my email. Well, is the show's email address, but it all comes to me. Uh, and you can also call us at the biz line, 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E, and we will get voicemails from you there. I'll, I'll have to prank call that one, one time. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, do that. <laughs> There's so, Somebody somewhere has put down that phone number for their pharmacy, so whenever his pills are ready, I get phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> So every now and then I just, hey, buddy, your prescription is ready. Go pick it up. <laughs> and that's episode 256, where we meld it and experience rapport as we reviewed Into the Abyss in this episode of... The Tone, The Tone, The Tone, The Tone, The Tone, The Tone. I'm off the wall.